Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Friend, is your faith so personal, so personal, that it is devoid of caring for the souls of others? Oh, it's my personal faith. Personal faith in the Bible abounds with love for others. Absolutely abounds with love for others. Did you know that a faith that cares nothing for others is no faith at all? It's no faith at all. I invited Jesus into my heart. Let me ask you a question. Are you so sure he came? Many people say that faith is a personal issue. In today's message, Pastor Jim challenges this false thinking. We will learn that if our faith isn't spilling out in great love for other people, our so-called faith is dead. Our example in this is Jesus. Jesus loved us so much that he left his heavenly abode to die for our sins. After he rose from the dead, Christ commissioned us to love others with his love and to share the gospel. Pastor Jim points out that if we are not obeying Christ's command to love, a critical self-examination is needed. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim with part three of his message entitled, Joyful Pattern. They're not after the prize. They're not after the goal. Seriously, they're walking. Some people are walking by the cross, looking at Jesus, enemies of the cross going, listen, that's great. Thanks. But man, as long as I do this ritual, I'm in. So don't worry about it. Other people are going, hey, Jesus, thanks for, le- thanks for dying for me, man. Party, here we go. Both are insults to what Jesus has done for us, okay? Now, the apostle profiles them for us. You say, well, what do they look like? He says, their God is their belly. Now, that doesn't mean they're looking at their stomach going, om, 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 okay? <laughs> now, that could be some crazy dietary rules or something like that, but it could also be that they are just people of self-indulgence. Who's their God? Me. Who's their God? Themselves. Next, he tells us also about them. He says, whose glory is their shame. They justify themselves. They start saying, oh, the Lord is okay with this. It's all grace, bro. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Those free people are always justifying their behavior. You say, what does the Bible say about it? Isaiah 5, 20, God says, they are people who call evil good and good evil. And they expect us to celebrate when they live contrary to the word of God. We don't celebrate that with them. Next, it says they set. In other words, they, they set the coordinates. They set their mind. Very, very important word. The Bible tells us to renew our mind in the things of God. Romans chapter 12, if you're taking notes. And, but here he says these people, they set their mind. They put it, if you will, the coordinates on automatic pilot. They set their mind on earthly things. They only live for this world. They're assuming they're going to heaven. Well, why wouldn't God want a guy like me? He's got to be kidding me, right? They swear that they're going to heaven, okay? Friends, please realize this. Sin is first and foremost a rebellion of the mind. 
That's what it is. It is a mind that is contrary to God. It is a mind that has gone astray from God and it has produced a soul that is far from God. And this might not be easy to discuss, but it's so important that we realize that when our minds are far from God, we are far from God. Listen, if you're here today and you are coming back to God, man, man, he is so glad you are coming back. I can't even, I can't even, I could never express that to you. Never, never. But, but we all have friends, some of us. We're trying to follow after God and we have friends and they're like, I- I'm good. I'm okay. You know, I was following God for a while, but you know, me and Jesus, we're, we're good. You know, we're, we're, we're doing our thing together. Listen, he didn't give me everything that I needed when the Bible says he's everything that we need. And, and that doesn't mean we don't need food and clothing, but you know what I'm talking about. Other people say he, he seems really far from me. It just didn't seem to work for me. Let me give you one of the profound secrets of the Christian life. If you're always thirsty for God, the Holy Spirit will quench your thirst. If you're always thirsty, expect God to show up. But if you're full, if you're never thirsty, if you're fine without him, he's, he's, why would he show up? And the worst part about these people, the pattern to avoid, is so many of them are out there telling people they're Christians when they're not. So many of them are out there are, 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 are saying, that, oh, well, I was a Christian. It didn't work for me. And here's the sad thing. So many of them are pastors. So many of our pulpits in America are filled with people who are not Christians preaching. You know why? Seriously. They don't love you enough to warn you like this to risk you all not coming back next week. And I don't say much about me, but I love you that much. I love you that much. But telling people, are you thirsty, man? Let me tell you where the living water is. Are you hungry, man? Let me tell you where the bread is. Not in a self-righteous way, but showing people the way to eternal life. And so many people out there today are in pulpits They are self-deceived and are deceiving people. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14 and 15. He says, and no wonder. Almost like, I don't think we should be so surprised. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Just like he says here in verse 18, the end will be destruction. Now these people, they talk a good game, and they really know how to fool the untaught. They say they are mature Christians, and some of them are actually leaders in our churches. And some of them are posing as leaders in our churches to lead people astray. What's missing? It's no longer a focus on the cross. And all that that represents, it's a focus on self. 
Remember back in verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, I want to understand, I want to know the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. When is the last time you heard a sermon on television about the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings? It's all about how to be happy, how to get what you want. And what does God come along and say? Those are the enemies of the cross. Those are the enemies. We think it's the people who are on, on certain radio stations or certain TV stations. God says, no, 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 no. Those are the people I'm trying to reach with the cross. These guys are the enemies of the cross. They're, they're just a bunch of phonies. They hate sufferings of Christ. They want, they want to say, well, Jesus suffered so we could always be rich. Jesus suffered so we could always be happy. Jesus suffered so we could always be healthy. The only ones getting rich is them. They're the only ones getting rich. Phony people, and the Bible calls them out. And such people, whether they're pastors, teachers, or people who live this way, what they want determines the way they live, not Jesus Christ. And please notice, friends, here it says they are not believers, although they sit in our churches. We might say they have a faith of convenience, not a faith of conviction. And always, oh, so full of excuses for their lack of faith. And people go, oh, Jesus knows my heart. Don't you know that's the problem? Not that Jesus knows it, but it's the problem for all of us what it really is. Oh, but I still love Jesus. Really? Really? And people say all the time, well, Jesus loves me. I don't doubt that for a second. It's our love for Jesus that the Bible calls in question. In Luke 19, and Jesus is teaching a parable, and rather than get absorbed like a lot of Bible scholars do and what the parable means here, let's just go right to the punchline. Luke 19, 27, listen to this. Jesus says, but bring here those enemies of mine. Now you think the enemies of Jesus, I we think we have a certain portrait of what they look like, and look what, and, but, but Paul just portrayed them to us, and look at what Jesus says who do not want me to reign over them. That's what Jesus says his enemies are. People who want to be their own king, not him as a king. They want the benefits of the kingdom, but not the king. Right, like, come on into the kingdom. Great, great, awesome. This is a wonderful life. I got it. Come on, man. We got to go sit and hear what the king has to say. No, just tell him I'm busy. And look what Jesus says, and slay them before me. The word of God judges our condition. So there's a pattern to follow people pressing in. Follow people who are pressing in. There's a pattern to avoid enemies of the cross, people mocking the cross with their lives, people taking it for granted, people full of excuses. But number three, there's a pattern to live by. Now some of you might be saying, you ran out of verses. It's actually tucked in verse 18 not that I'm so smart, but when, you, you know, I always tell people, I spend about 12 hours on a Sunday message, sometimes 15, three verses, four hours of verse. It's a pretty lame message for four hours of verse, sorry. Okay, I understand that. But it's kind of tucked in. You got to look for it a little. He says in verse 18, again, for many walk or many live of whom I have told you often. That's the warning, right? Look what he says. And now tell you even weeping. Get the picture. Here's the apostle in jail, either writing or dictating to someone the letter to that's going to be carried back to the church. And he starts to cry. He starts to cry. This is the guy they beat him up. 
They think he's dead. He gets up, he goes, oh, that hurt. Let's go back into town and preach some more. But he's a very emotional man too. He's this perfect balance. And so he, he says, I tell you now, even weeping or with tears, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, friends, when the truth of the gospel grasps your heart, you now live in a weird place. That doesn't mean we have to be weird, but we live in a weird place. We live in between the cross and the grave. Okay, we're no longer going to be judged for our sins, but we haven't resurrected from the dead yet. So we live in this strange place and we are changed. There will be no penalty for our sins. There will be no death. But living in that strange place, you're able to see something that maybe you didn't see before. It is the ugliness of humanity and the beautiful love of Jesus Christ. See, I think a lot of our problem is we flick on the TV and we're just seeing the ugliness of humanity over and over and over again. And while we may be looking for the good in the world, and there's a lot of good in the world, we have to be looking at the cross of Christ for the ultimate good. And so here, the ugliness of humanity and the cross of Christ, they collide. And what happens to a true Christian? It's right here in this verse. We warn and we weep. We warn and we weep. We don't tell people in a nasty way and glad they're going to hell. But we don't just stay home and cry about it all the time and never tell anybody about it. We warn and we weep. And so here the apostle is showing us that we are to be angry over error. When we hear about the false teaching and people being misled about the truth of Jesus Christ, we are angry over error and we weep over those who are following it. We weep over those who have bought into a lie. And today, friends, I know, I know this Sunday after Sunday that some of you do not know Jesus Christ. I know that some of you are wandering from him. I know that some of you would say that I'm trying to live the Christian life and I'm completely not fulfilled. Come to the cross and see. Come to the cross and gaze upon the crucified Savior. See the battle of the enemies of the cross, the people with their do-it-your-own religion. This is how you can be happy. This is how you can be satisfied. And watch them battle against the love of God. And see when the tomb is empty, who will ultimately win the battle. Now, like most Americans, I believe the Apostle Paul was actually a rugged individualist. I'm sure he was not an easy guy to keep up with. I mean, running here, running there, all over the place, determined, self-starter, self-motivated, powered by the Holy Spirit. Constantly, he told us last week, we covered it today, pressing into his own faith. But loved ones, one result of pressing into our own faith is wanting to show others the way because God's heart becomes our heart because we have been like Jesus and we're coming, becoming more like Jesus. Remember in Mark chapter one, they wanted to make him famous. They wanted to make him king. And he goes, nope, I gotta go out and preach the gospel for that's the reason why I came. Didn't want part of worldly success. Realized who he was and why he had came. 
Now here we have to really do some, some, some diagnostic questions that might not be that comfortable for us. Maybe we might be sweating a little, so we might want to turn the air conditioning down to 45 or something like that. <laughs> Friend, is your faith so personal, so personal, that it is devoid of caring for the souls of others? Oh, it's my personal faith. Personal faith in the Bible abounds with love for others. Absolutely abounds with love for others. Did you know that a faith that cares nothing for others is no faith at all? It's no faith at all. I invited Jesus into my heart. Let me ask you a question. Are you so sure he came? If you're not becoming more like him. Did you invite him into a heart that was unwilling to give up sin? Did you invite him into a heart that was so self-righteous that you're like, I'm pretty darn good, Jesus. No wonder you want me. Or I did all my religious rituals, which Paul said we studied a couple weeks ago. They're fine if they're done with the right heart. But I did all that stuff. You have to take me now. Or did you invite him that, into a heart that was so cluttered with self that there was no room for him? In Matthew chapter 23, you can read it on your own. Oh, such a moving chapter. Jesus is giving all the, I mean, he is laying out the religious leaders, all these woes of leading God's people astray, looking spiritual, teaching wrong things and pretending that they're teaching the doctrines of men, pretending they're the doctrines of God. And then the next scene, Jesus looks out over Jerusalem and he starts to cry. After giving some of the most serious reprimands in all the Bible, he weeps over Jerusalem because they had bought into the lies of the false teacher. Christian friend, we must weep over northwest New Jersey if we expect God to do anything. We must be willing to warn people and, and, to, and to weep over people for our friends who don't want to hear anything about Jesus for our friends who have been taught the wrong things about God, for our friends who once walked with Jesus and now have completely turned their back on him. You say, I don't feel that way at all. Oh, friends, then we must weep that our own minds are so set on earthly things that we barely even notice or barely even care that people are going to hell. I love Jesus, man. All these, these times in the Bible when he just, he just comes to the edge of the crowd. I mean, it was great teaching, but I just imagine meeting the apostles and just like when he came to those places where he looked out over the people and started to weep and had compassion for they were sheep without a shepherd because they were being falsely taught. I want to tell the apostles, what were those moments like? And they were like, dude, they were epic. We watched the guy who could turn water into wine. We watched the guy who could feed thousands. We watched the guy who could heal people. We watched the guy who, was, who, could, who could raise people from the dead. He could do anything, but when it came to people, he wept. It was epic, man. It was epic. And we have to weep over our busyness. We have to weep over our lack of caring for people. The Apostle Paul told this to the Galatians. It's getting late. I got to hurry. He said this. 
Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Isn't it interesting? Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Own bur- bear one another's burdens. And verse 5, bear your own load. This is the Christian life. Relying on Jesus, being responsible for myself, and being willing to put another person on my back and carry them to heaven, if that's what it takes. Because, friends, that's what Jesus did for all of us. He put us on his back and carried us up that hill to, the Cal- to Calvary to be crucified in our place for our sins. The Apostle Paul teaching the Galatian church, taking care of our own souls is the bare minimum in the Christian life for who? For who? The friends of the cross. There are the enemies of the cross, but there are also the friends of the cross. The friends of the cross see the crucified Savior on their cross in their place for their sins and love him more. And a byproduct of loving him more is loving people more. The friends of the cross, which we'll talk about in our next study, are verse 20, citizens of heaven. I didn't want to talk about it today because it's too wonderful to talk about and, and just tag it on at the end of a message. But we are not home yet, Christian. And until we're home, what do we do? We walk with Jesus. We worship Jesus. We lovingly warn others. And we weep over the condition of this world. This is the joyful pattern that the Lord wants for the Philippians. This is the joyful pattern, no matter what every other church does, that Jesus wants for Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills. This is the joyful pattern for you and for me. But here's the critical question you have to ask yourself. Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want to be with Jesus? And do you want to be like Jesus? The Bible teaches there will be no enemies of the cross in heaven. Only friends of the cross. Only those who have received new life from Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed absorbed all the things that keep us out of heaven. But to receive the forgiveness of sins, to receive eternal life, you can't live with your back to God. You have to turn. You have to turn around and look at God and put your trust in Jesus Christ instead of yourself. Those who love Jesus Christ and his cross soon find out it's the power of God, as the Bible says. It is the place to daily meet the risen Christ. And so as we said, now we daily live in between the cross and the grave, never punished for our sins, never going to taste death, but ready to face life now. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says this, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. I pray that we would all come to Jesus today. Maybe for some of you, maybe for you it's for the first time. It's no problem with that. 
The Bible says there is joy in heaven when one sinner repents, when one sinner turns to God and says, man, I know I've been doing my own thing. I know it now. I see it. And I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. And a lot of times you feel really bad when you do it because you realize that you haven't been true to Jesus. Maybe for others, you need to come back to Jesus today. There was a time when you once tried to walk with Jesus or you did walk with Jesus. And today, Jesus invites you to come back. And maybe for others, it's just a day you want to just be filled with the awe and wonder of the Savior who died on the cross in your place for your sins and wants to walk with you daily in life. Pastor Jim will have more insights to share from the book of Philippians the next time you join us. You've been listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kempney, teaching pastor of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. This message from the book of Philippians is available to anyone who calls 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Keep in mind that we need today's date to ensure you get the right teaching in your hands. Again, you can get a copy of today's study on CD when you call 973-659-3380 or by sending an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. Changed by Love also has a website with quite a bit of information. The address is www.changedbyloveradio.com. That's www.changedbyloveradio.com. At the website, you can check out our additional resources, drop us a note, or give securely to support the ongoing expenses of bringing you this program. Changed by Love is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located at 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. From all of the production team, we want to say thank you for joining us today, and we pray that God's Word would change your lives in more ways than you've ever dreamed possible. Please mark your Bibles and join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse teaching through the book of Philippians, right here on Changed by Love.